You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we would see Jesus today. Heavenly Father, we would hear Jesus today. Heavenly Father, we would be moved to love and serve Jesus today. Amen. You may have heard of the story about the young American couple that had gotten themselves lost in the rabbit worn of roads in Western Ireland. They were getting a bit desperate and then they saw an old farmer from whom they could get directions. They were all excited until he answered their question and they were a bit deflated by his response. If that's where you want to be going, I wouldn't be starting from here. Where you start does make a big difference where you end up, particularly in matters of religion. Do you start with God reaching out to us or us reaching out to God? Do you start with God's love capturing our heart and filling it with love to serve him and others? Or do you begin with trying to stir up enough love in yourself to love God and others so that you might persuade him to love you back? To earn his recognition, acknowledgement, acceptance, to convince him or maybe ourselves that we're good enough, that we're working hard enough, that we really are worthy enough to be loved by the absolute standard of justice and purity and purpose in the universe? It's an important question, isn't it? And it lies at the very heart of the Reformation. By the way, happy Reformation Day, October 31st. Four, 504 years after Martin Luther challenged the academics of his day to a debate about the medieval understanding of salvation that basically said, in the end, it's up to us. We have to prove to God we've worked hard enough, long enough, making ourselves good enough so he will accept us. 
But what did he write in our opening hymn today? Verse 2. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. It's exhausting trying to convince someone you're worthy to be loved, isn't it? Isn't our striving rewarded with losing. That's the heart of the Reformation. It is not what we do to please God that is the foundation of our hope and the source of our wholeness. It is what he is pleased to do in, through, and for us now and for eternity. One of my favorite Bible verses is Philippians 1.6, that he will begun, he will bring to completion the good work he has begun in us. I love to say, okay, now, isn't there a footnote there in the Bible? Some ancient manuscripts add, if you work hard enough. What? That's not in there? If you're pure enough, if you, what? None of that's there? Our hope, our wholeness lies in his promise to do something beautiful in us. And that's the dividing line. No, no beast domine, domine. No, no beast domine. Sed nomine, sed nomine. Tuo da gloriam. It's much more beautiful in Latin with all that wonderful Cramnerian alliteration. But what's it say? It's not as poetic, but it's still profound in English. Psalm 115.1. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name, to your name be the glory. It's the dividing line between true and false religion. It's the dividing line between healthy and unhealthy Christianity. It is the dividing line between the gospel and all the innumerable inferior imitations that perennially pretend to offer us good news based on what we can do to coax God to love us. It's the heart of the Reformation, but it's also the heart of the gospel passage before us, which we so often overlook. We hear this passage every Sunday, but we don't hear it in the context of Mark's gospel. And in Mark's gospel, it's odd. There are three distinct oddities about this passage. 
first. Did you notice Jesus was asked for one commandment and he gives two? Jesus is saying faith, trust in God, and ethics, the consequences of knowing God means it changes what you do. Beliefs affect behavior. And they're so interlinked with the God we serve, the God we worship, that they're one commandment. Now that's important to remember because in our current culture, we tend to pick one or the other. We talk, new age spirituality doesn't like to talk about ethics. It wants religion to be something of personal comfort something that's indescribably intimate between you and your sense of the numinous, of, the, of spirituality. I remember I was at another Episcopal cathedral and I was asked to define the gospel and I said, it's Jesus Christ dying for our sins. And a woman objected and said, it has nothing to do with that. I said, what about communion every Sunday? Isn't that what we celebrate? What? Communion has nothing to do with Jesus dying for sins. Communion is a private, personal, intimate moment between me and God. Oh, do tell. Then we have the other extreme, because personal experientialism is the norm of most people's worldviews, have you noticed this, the radical change in common everyday language in the last five years? We don't talk about the truth, revealed truth, objective truth. We talk about truths your truth, my truth. Everyone must look within themselves to find their own individual truth. Truth doesn't unify us, it distinguishes us. And far be it for me to impose my truth on someone else's truth. And because it's all about this acceptance of personal experience and multiplicity of truths, what do we have left to build community on? Not beliefs, because everybody's beliefs will inherently be different. Beliefs and behavior? Now the scale is down on behavior. How you treat people. That's what unifies. Morality, moralism, and the moral is just one. Acceptance of how other people 
choose to define themselves and their reality. That's what it means to be human, is to define yourself. And if I don't accept that, then I'm denying you your humanity. And that's not fair. That's not just stupid. That's hurtful. That's harmful. That's evil. And if you're hurting and harming other people, if you're spreading evil, I want no part of it. I have the right to cancel you because you're not acting humanely. You're not acting humanly. You're not acting like a decent human being. Therefore, I don't have to treat you like a human being. You cease to exist. That is a radical form of moralism, but it's still about for moralism. It's about performance, right? And you know, just like medieval Christianity was exhausting, evangelical moralism is exhausting, woke moralism is exhausting. If you've ever been in the in-group, you discover that's not such a great thing because you've got to keep proving to other people in the in-group that you have the right to be in the in-group, and you discover that there are more people who are more in than you, and you have to jostle, and if you're the top of the heap, and you get to decide who's in the in-group and who's not in the in-group, you're always looking over your shoulder <laughs> to see if someone's going to topple you because they want to be the one to decide, and you're constantly having to work to prove that you have the right. And in this case, it's not about coolness, but that you have the right understanding of how to treat people and the right not to associate with people who don't. Well, Jesus says that's not how you do it. Beliefs and behavior have to be held together, and the beliefs have to be based on God's revelation of himself, and that should affect our responses. What's the second weird thing about this passage? The scribe approves of what Jesus says. That's the only time in all of Mark the scribes say something nice about Jesus. Remember, they're trying to discredit him, to prove that they are the teachers. They're the ones with authority. But not in this passage. The scribe approves. And what Jesus has said is not unique. Not the first time it has been mentioned in Jewish teaching. And there's a debate in Jewish teaching. Is he saying this is the summary in the sense this is the origin, this is the principle, the reason why we have to keep these 635 laws is because we love God? 
Or is he being more radical and saying summary means fulfillment, replacement? That if you keep these laws, you don't have to try to fulfill the 635 laws. You just fulfill these. After all, Paul says, if I love my neighbor, I have fulfilled the law. It sounds like the scribe gets it, how exhausting it must be to try to keep all those rules. And he says, you're right. It is much better, more in keeping with our God to love the image that we can see of him in other people than concentrating on empty sacrifices, on ceremonies. He understands that coming to church, if it's just to sit in church rather than coming to be changed and empowered, is not really a useful exercise, is it? Coming to church and thinking automatically that you're going to be more like Jesus is saying, because I go into the, uh, to a McDonald's, I'm a Big Mac. Doesn't work like that. And he's saying that Jesus is emphasizing that our encounter with God in the midst of these ceremonies must be life-changing and reflective of the God we've encountered. So then we have our third oddity. Jesus <laughs> approves of the scribe. He never approves of their teaching. Now, it's a subtle approval, isn't it? Because the scribe has assumed the right to judge Jesus. And that's not right. Jesus has come to judge him because Jesus has the authority of God himself. So Jesus suddenly takes back his rightful position, but he uses his authority to compliment the scribe, which she never does. But isn't it a weird compliment? You are not far from the kingdom of God. There's a debate in the literature does that mean that Jesus hasn't died and rose again, so the kingdom hasn't come? But it's coming soon, and when it comes, this man will be in it because he gets it. That what we need to do is to concentrate our activities, not on empty ceremonies, but on serving other people in God's name. And that can be a pretty popular moralism today, can't it? But the reformers would say, you've missed the point if you think that. Jesus is saying you're far away because even though you understand that faith and ethics have to be together, even if you understand love and action is better than empty ceremony, you don't understand where to start. You're still thinking Old Testament. 
you're still thinking sacrifices to God. Just what's the better sacrifice? That's not what the kingdom of God is about. It's about what God is pleased to do for you what you cannot do. Listen again to what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your will. All. Have you all ever heard that great Southern Baptist hymn, I Surrender Some? That's more honest, isn't it? Who can say they give all to God, even if we want to? Doesn't take long to figure out that we stumble in that process, right? And when Jesus is saying, this is what God calls us to, the scribe doesn't get it that he can't do it. Do we? American culture is all about what we do and what we earn. Do you know how you get a Christian athlete to talk at length? You just ask a Christian athlete how they serve Jesus through their sport. And they'll immediately be able to talk about the evangelistic activities, the Bible studies, the praying for their friends, all the things they're doing, and they're all good and godly and appropriate. You know how you get a Christian athlete to be stunned speechless? You just say, how does Jesus serve you in sport? And they'll pause and they'll say, I never thought about it. How about us? Do we think about, do we long for? Do we look for? Do we lean on Jesus serving us in the midst of our activities so that we can find the power, the sustainability to keep going? Anybody here from rural Alabama? Ever seen a horse pushing a cart with its head? It doesn't work, does it? Jesus is the horsepower. Our actions are the response to what he is doing and empowering. Do we recognize we need him to enable us to do for him. What did our reformer say in today's collect? Of whose only gift it cometh that thy faithful people do unto thee true and laudable service. All that we do for him is his gift working in us. 
Do we realize that? Do we come to him asking him to strengthen and increase that? I always say medals have to be earned. That's right and good. Love can't be earned. If it's earned, it's not love. How often we get exhausted in the unsustainable task of trying to convince God and other people that we're worthy of love. The good news is we don't have to. The good news is summarized by Thomas Cramner in our liturgy that we pray and say every Sunday. If you are exhausted trying to prove to others or to yourself that you have worth and value and you are worthy to be loved, remember, come unto me all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. God starts where we are needing to be rescued. And what does he do? For God so loved the world. God responds to our longing to be rescued, to long to rescue us because he loves us just as we are, because we are his handiwork. And when he sees we long to be rescued and he longs to rescue us, he knows that this is a trustworthy saying worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We need a savior. And Jesus has come to make it possible to come to us, to reconcile us to God and to give us a firm foundation of a relationship with him based on his unchanging righteousness, not the fluctuations of our faithfulness. But what does that love cost God? If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the perfect offering for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That love for us that will not let us go is a love that costs God, the immortal, to experience mortality and die so that we can experience eternal life in his presence. <laughs> like Jesus' questioners, I am at a loss for words. A truth beyond my comprehension that draws out of me a love for God and for the children that he has made. But not because I'm such a good person or I work hard enough or I'm doing God a favor, no because that's what he has promised to bring com completion. Non nobis domine, domine, non nobis domine. Sed nomini, sed nomini, tuo da gloria. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your day be the glory now and forever. Amen.
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.